Hello everyone, welcome to one more episode of the Expert Dispatch. We just can't stop interviewing fascinating guests of ours, so maybe this will be somewhere like a 12th episode. We are not sure. But anyway, let's welcome Jess. Jess, it's good to have you on the show today. We're uh, looking forward to our conversation and just to start off I'd like to ask you to share a little bit about yourself, just your background as an introduction to this episode. Okay, cool. Well, thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, my name is Jessica Metcalf. I'm from South Africa and my background is in landscape architecture, but I suspect, like many of the guests on the show, I studied in Rotterdam, <laughs> Erasmus University. So open I- IHS. IHS, there we go. <laughs> Not promoting IHS in any way. It's just a coincidence that we have 12 people from IHS. <laughs> not 12, come on, not all of them. Like, maybe 10. Um, 80% of the show. Just the most interesting people in Rotterdam. Mm-hmm. You cannot do anything about it. Well, IHS has a lot to do with that, huh? <laughs> International, Global South conglomerate. Anyway, so yes, I study the climate change track in IHS. And that's my interest. And that's, yeah, my background too. Mm-hmm. So what was your experience before coming to the Netherlands? Where did you live? What have you been doing? Okay, so I'm from Johannesburg originally in South Africa. But I lived, I moved to Cape Town uh, when I was 19 to study fine art, um, actually. And I lived in Cape Town for 10 years. Um, yeah, I studied fine art for four years. And then I did landscape architecture masters. Uh, I worked for three years as a landscape architect in the city of Cape Town for a small firm that did like social housing predominantly. I did sort of urban design, scale, landscape, architecture, design projects. Mm. Interesting. So you you lived in both uh, Johannesburg and Cape Town. Mm. I was just curious to know what are the differences between (laughs) these two cities. Is there like one, like a cultural center and one's like, I don't know, business In one you can be killed much more easier. Oh gosh. I'm not sure. People always say that. People always diss Johannesburg and say, oh, I'm so sorry you're from Johannesburg. (laughs) Cape Town's so beautiful. But actually, I disagree. I think Cape Town is beautiful, but I think Johannesburg is much more interesting. The main difference between Johannesburg and Cape Town, I would say, is the history. Cape Town started as a colonial port, and mm. it very much has that legacy. Whereas Johannesburg evolved out of the gold rush, and so it's yeah much newer, mm-hmm. and it's much more culturally diverse. Mm-hmm. So the spatial planning is different. Obviously, I look at it as a landscape architect and urban planner, and I think that the spatial distribution of the cities has a really really big role to play in the social dynamic. Cape Town is still quite, I'm just going to say it, racist and socially divided, let's say. Mm-hmm. Whereas Johannesburg is much more integrated mm-hmm. and much more diverse mm-hmm. and has a much cooler like cultural scene. There's much more interesting music coming out of there, more interesting art. Cape Town's a little bit stuck. So if you would have an opportunity to come back for, let's say, a job in South Africa and both offices 
I would be in in these two cities. Which one would you choose? Mm. Depends what the work was. I mean, let's say that this is a very good job. You cannot just not accept the offer. Just what city would you choose between two of them? I don't know. Even it, de- it depends what it really depends what the work was. I mean, it's the same job at the, the same job. It's just like they have two offices, so like you need to choose one. <laughs> Okay, but okay. Can I, I'll tell you why that why I say the difference. Uh, okay. Because if it was like social integration, landscape architecture, urban planning, I would definitely choose Cape Town because I think it's needed more. Okay. Whereas if I was doing maybe something, I don't know, something more corporate or more, I don't know, like less socially demanding, I would choose Johannesburg because mm-hmm. I think yeah. you're gonna be. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but what the hell is going on there? <laughs> oh <my> <laughs> <gosh>. <laughs> it's not the first time I see people rollerblading just on the street and they almost blocking the street. And uh, yeah, there are like dozens of them. What's it called? Like orientation activity? But they all look quite old. Mm-hmm. Like no, no, I think it's something just maybe municipalities even involved. We should do it. We should actually. <laughs> I do love rollerblading. And it's so flat um, here, it's so easy. Yeah, but I mean, thanks for clarifying the, why you asked Yeah, because about the differences. It totally makes sense. But uh, yeah, my question was more about the which city would you prefer and the job was just an uh, excuse. So <laughs> let, let's imagine you're doing like a project at a national wide or something like that. Mm. So which city would you just prefer to live in? It's really hard. It's, okay. a re- it's honestly a really hard choice. Yeah, I think they both have something to offer. Exactly. Right? Cape so. Town is beautiful and you have access to nature and it's like you have the beach, you have the mountain, you have the whatever. Cape Johannesburg, okay, the way that I always describe the difference between the two is in Cape Town you can be a loner very easily. You mm-hmm. can have two friends, go to the beach, climb the mountain, be happy, <laughs> it's good. In Joburg, there's literally nothing to do but hang out with people. Mm-hmm. So people are much more friendly. People are much more open to inviting you to their house parties and to the next party they're going to and you meet them and you know, introducing you to their circle. So in Joburg, you depend on people. Oh, that's cool. It seems like you describe it if it were two separate countries. <laughs> well. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they have different backgrounds. But after you finished your work uh, in Cape Town, you came straight away to do your master's in Rotterdam. Or was it something in between? Mm, no. I, well... Mm. Actually, between working for Tanik Litzner, landscape architect, the one in Cape Town, I started working for the company I'm working for now, which is an international landscape architecture company called Bodeca, mm-hmm. and it's a German company. So I worked with, for them for six months, mainly just to make, because they pay euros, so I wanted to make money to afford coming to Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you are still working with them, or...? Mm. Yeah, uh, you also mentioned that you've been traveling to Saudi Arabia a lot. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to Saudi Arabia now with that company. Mm-hmm. Bodeca works primarily in Saudi Arabia. It's mm-hmm. like a family business that got out of control. It's now like 200 <laughs> people strong. But they've been working in Saudi for like 60 years. Mm. So they're very deeply embedded 60? in... Yeah. Wow, oh, that's yeah. a lot. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Especially for Saudi. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Richard Bodeca, the CEO's father was one of these crazy hippies who went there in the 60s and was like, I'm going to create the desert. So he did, actually. He did start doing that and he has, they've stayed there because they've been really successful. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm going to Saudi 
I'm working on a project. So it's not uh, it's not this type of yeah, just uh, biggest international consultant firms who have just so good offers in terms of money for their projects in Saudi. Yeah, I don't I don't want to name them, but I just know <laughs> that some of them yeah, just well, like I just even know the cases of the company. It's a very well known one. Let's Does say. it start with an M? No. But I won't say you anymore. And its main profits, source of profits is coming actually from Saudi now. Mm. So, yeah, there's a big business there. Okay. Yeah. Well, Saudi seems like a very good place to be right now, considering how much they're changing and how much they're like developing and opening up mm. to the world. Have you noticed mm. that there is like this cultural revolution happening there? Definitely. I mean, I wasn't there before mm -hmm. so i'm only seeing it now kind of at i wouldn't even say that I don't know, it's like halfway through the transition maybe but yeah there's definitely an emphasis not only on their policy from like the highest levels about really what's supposed to be changing in the country but at the micro level i met lots of people our age who mm -hmm. are just living mm -hmm. their lives and i have the same mentality as the rest of the world globalization's mm -hmm. got there so the same music went to a techno party <laughs> which I was just not expecting. So <laughs> I was really, really happy in Saudi. And my line, whenever anybody asked me in Saudi how I was finding it, I just said, I don't quite know what I was expecting, but what I got wasn't wasn't that. Yeah, I mean, we already recorded an episode with a friend of ours who spent actually a lot of years there. And we talked about both bright sides and outside, downsides. But to be honest, I, I just want to be this dude who is critical about everything. So don't you think that there are still so many rules that just stop in this progress, first of all, in minds of people? And the second part of the question, it's actually maybe a little bit provocative, but there are just some opinions that Saudi doesn't have any long term future. So yeah, uh, try to answer it. Now, and I, will, I will explain why I ask you the second question. Okay. Well, I don't know, maybe I'll start at the back. I'll work my way to the front of your question. In terms of not having a long-term future, I think that's guiding why Saudi is changing. I think that the MBS has recognized that not only is the world moving away from fossil fuels, which is their main source of income, but maybe he also recognizes it's unsustainable. I'm not, I don't know about that, but... Also, like the global geopolitics are much more integrated, so you really can't be isolated. And I think he recognizes that. So the Vision 2030, <laughs> which guides development in Saudi Arabia, has come up with projects that seem to really aim to integrate society at the micro level. And I'm working on a 2030, Vision 2030 project, Green Riyadh. Um, and from what I can see about how Green Riyadh operates and the projects that they're doing, I really feel like it's genuine um, and the aim with Green Riyadh at least is to integrate the systems of the city and make it more sustainable and it, in, a, in a genuine sense. They're trying to encourage people to move to the city, which means that there's going to be more water consumption. Mm -hmm. They are desalinating, fine, not the most sustainable choice. And they're also depleting groundwater resources, which not necessarily being replenished, but those two two things aside, there's more water in the city and they're using that to grow more plants, mm -hmm. to make an urban forest and make the city more livable. And yeah. I feel like they're starting to build an ecosystem in the desert 
which hopefully will make the city more livable and create opportunities for people because it's a mega city. There's mm-hmm. already like 8 million people living there. Yeah, because this. another uh, problem in Riyadh is that it's very car dependent. Mm. As far as I know, there's not that many public transport options. Mm. And are they doing something in that um, regard in terms of, yeah. I don't know, trying to switch to public transport and encourage people to use it more? Yeah, they are. They actually, they've built a BRT, bus rapid transport system, and they've built a metro. Neither of them are functioning yet, but I've seen them, they're being tested, like the the stations have been built and the routes have been developed. And actually Bodeco worked on a lot of the design for the the interchange areas where, you know, best practice is being applied, where metro meets bus and there's public spaces being developed that are nicely shaded and there's place to park your bikes and they are developing a bike route and all of these strategies mm-hmm. are there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, thanks a lot for clarifying and you practically understood what I implied. Yeah, it's mostly dependency on the fossil fuels. And also my point, and it's just my personal view, that a lot of things that's currently happening in Saudi, not only in Saudi, in this region of the world, because they have a lot of money and they basically showing off. They try to, yeah, just have uh, media attention and pol- political influence. So, I don't know, maybe right now on a, on the agenda, it's one of the most famous football players going to Saudi when, the, when there is not really <laughs> a proper football league. So, yeah, everyone understands it's for money and they have some mega projects which seems to be unrealistic, but yeah, just a little bit utopian. And I mean, maybe it's possible with their resources to desalinate the sea, to build a forest in the desert and whatever, but it's also not really sustainable and it will require so much, I don't know, maintenance, so much very difficult engineering in order to sustain it. That's why I I'm really skeptical about Saudi's future, but it's really cool that we just like kind of see it from the different sides and there is not a one which is right, so. Mm. Yeah, this episode is not about Saudi. I decided <laughs> to dive a little bit deeper into the topic. So you came to Rotterdam. How did you feel in the beginning? What uh, were your main emotions back then? Wow, okay, I have to think back. I guess the reason I left home was because I was practicing landscape architecture at this small company and I found myself being really frustrated because I feel like in South Africa, the landscape architecture profession isn't recognized and really isn't developed. And so many of the concepts that I had been taught at university and was seeing being practiced overseas, like was non-existent at home. And I realized that really what maybe needs development is the policy arena around environmental planning we have very very good policy but the actual implementation of those policies to design and public space and urban design isn't i don't think really happening so that's why i decided to come to the netherlands to learn from the best (laughs) when it comes to those aspects and so yeah getting here for me was the most exciting thing ever (laughs) having the opportunity to come to the netherlands i cannot tell you how happy and excited i was to to break out of what I thought was going to be a very dead-end situation at home. Mm-hmm. And then IHS and the educational like experience, I was so grateful to meet so many like-minded people. Mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting 
this is not an advert for IHS, <laughs> but I wasn't expecting to meet so many people who I could just talk to about the things that I cared about and they understood and cared about the same things. When I studied landscape architecture, that wasn't the case. Mm. People had very different conceptions of what landscape architecture was and what it could do. Even though in our course, there were so many different splinter disciplines, everybody seemed to really care about urbanism. And yeah, that was the cool. emphasis was more on social aspect at IHS rather than just theoretical mm. when it comes to landscape architecture. Mm. Might be too like theoretical and conceptual, whereas in IHS it's more about like the broader social sphere. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, undeniably, it's an, it's an important aspect, and it aligns, for example, with my values. But yeah, we ask people if they want to share the experience of IHS of our program that we all attended. And actually various. It only says that some people maybe got what they wanted, maybe even more than they wanted, and some maybe had high expectations, or maybe just it was not their cup of tea. Um, but it's really cool that you uh, kind of broke out of the circle, you changed the continent, and you felt amazing, as, <laughs> as I can summarize, and you still, after finishing your master's film, something like that, or what's your current situation? It's been a year after we graduated, so mm-hmm. as far as I know, you've been in Rotterdam not all the time, so can you tell us what you've what you been up to after? <laughs> yeah, well, I realized today when asking for tax advice. <laughs> oh, you don't know what, where your tax yeah, residence is. <laughs> exactly, asking for immigration tax advice. And I've only been in Rotterdam um, four months. Or well, by the time my Zukia finishes, I will have been in Rotterdam four months of the year. Mm. So that's really not much. I feel like I've wasted my Zukia a little bit. But you also was sometime, for some time you've been to Germany. Yeah, I was visiting, but I don't count that. Like in Europe, mm-hmm. I was here for four months. Oh, for four months. Oh, yeah. wow. wow. Because, so what happened, our Zukia starts in November. Mm-hmm. I started, I finished my... Sorry, Zukia is a search visa in the Netherlands, uh, which you can get after, after you finish your university here for one year. Yeah, and it's supposed to help you get a job, but <laughs> from the experience of everybody, including myself, it was very difficult to get a job in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. So when I submitted my thesis, I decided I wanted to do a PhD. Just by the way, side note, I saw just writing her thesis. I just saw a draft of her thesis. That was insane. <laughs> no, that was a half of the PhD thesis, at <laughs> least. Yeah, just... After you finished answering this question, please tell us more about your thesis because it's a really cool one. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And I will because I loved my thesis. <laughs> but so should I answer that? Or I... No, just uh, continue while like you were telling that you spent only four months in Europe. And Yeah, so when I finished my thesis, I decided I wanted to do PhD, but I also really wanted to get work experience in Ostorm. So I was applying like a mad person to PhDs and jobs. Mm-hmm. Got rejected from literally everything mm-hmm. and it was really disheartening <laughs> so yeah i kept applying i kept applying some things i heard back from and it was just a generic response some things i never heard back from until luckily some recruiter got hold of me for a job which i was so underqualified for i don't know why she picked up on me but anyway i went to this interview um yeah with this fancy like property investment company in Amsterdam. It was probably like my most 
corporate interview ever and I flunked it so badly <laughs> it was mortifying but I left that interview and I called the recruiter and I was like oh that was terrible but please help me find something else and she did uh, <laughs> and she got a hold of this like little startup okay not little but actually they're pretty cool but they mm-hmm. doing e- they do ESG analysis for like investment funds for the Netherlands and yeah I got lucky enough to get a job with them so wait, so, they are based in the Netherlands? Or? Yeah, they were based in the Netherlands, in Amsterdam. And I worked for them for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got I got sequestered by my old company because I had been working for them part-time to like manage my fi- the Bodek, the one I mentioned earlier. Yeah. I'd been continuing to work with them part-time to yeah. fund being in the Netherlands because mm-hmm. it's not cheap. Mm-hmm. And when I told them I was quitting to work for this company in Amsterdam, they were like, what? What the hell? Why are you <laughs> leaving? You can't leave. <laughs> But so, was it a full-time job in this company in Amsterdam? Yeah. Were they willing to sponsor your visa? Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> was, it, was it an interesting job? It was interesting. It was really interesting. But it wasn't quite my interests. I kind of felt like I was at a split <laughs> where I could have lived in Amsterdam, taken this ESG like consulting job and like kind of come become like a corporate mm-hmm. ESG analyst, mm-hmm. which ESG is a concept which I think has a finite lifespan. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how legitimately useful it is for changing, for seeing the change I want to see in the world. I'm very optimistic mm-hmm. and I want to work directly on projects that have a, an impact. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't completely sold on the job. It was a good job. I feel like it could have been a path for me in the Netherlands. It would have been a lot more secure or like clear cut than what I'm doing at the moment. But ultimately, I don't think it was the right thing for me. Also, my company gave me kind of like an offer that I couldn't refuse, which helped. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can totally understand it was not an easy choice. No, I understand why... Dutch companies don't want to hire internationals because uh, they just quit after two weeks. Yeah, we flexi-flexi. Flaky. They were pissed off at me. I remember you referred me to yes. them, but they, but they never yeah, contacted no. me. No, no, no. When I told them I was quitting, I was like, like, I do have lots of friends who would be, you know, more more than adequate for this job. If, if you like, I can give you some people. And he just looked at me and he was like, <laughs> no. <laughs> but I sent it to him anyway, in the hope. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe um, the timing was not really great in terms of you should have told your this German company that you have like a, an offer and you're considering of accepting it. I did. I could have handled it maybe better, but it was also weird timing. And mm-hmm. sometimes in my life, I think there is a God. <laughs> I'm not religious really at all. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I'm like, if things had worked out in any other way, it wouldn't have produced the yeah, effect. But- because mm. I had started working with the CEO of my company, my, of Bodecker, two weeks before I got the job offer. Mm-hmm. And so I was working with him and then I got the job offer and I only had an assignment till the end of the month. So I told Cooltree that I was still working for the old company and I needed to finish my assignment. Mm-hmm. And normally when you're working with Bodecker, it's assignment based. You don't have a long contract. Mm-hmm. It's always like month, two months, mm-hmm. two weeks, one week, whatever. Mm-hmm. So two weeks before the end, I said, I'm not going to continue. I'm not going to get another assignment, which is normal behavior. Mm-hmm. And Cooltree knew I was finishing off. But then because I had started working for the CEO, 
I had to tell him that I was quitting and he was the only person in the company who could be like, what do I have to give you to stay? Which is what he did. Mm -hmm. So if I'd been on another assignment with a different partner, like a month before, it never would have happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in a way you got also lucky. Yeah. Very lucky. Very, very, very lucky. And I'm grateful for the way. Yeah. I'm just curious about your current job as a landscape Mm -hmm. architect. So what do you do on a day to day basis? Do you just draw things in like, I don't know, or AutoCAD (laughs) or SketchUp or something like that? Or how does it look like? Yeah. So, so my degree and coming to the Netherlands, as much as I'm not going to be staying in the Netherlands, definitely helped because the degree in urban planning and, and management has elevated me from being a landscape architect to the current position I'm in, which is I'm sort of working on urban forestry master planning for Riyadh. Mm-hmm. Urban forest master planning is something that like many cities in the world do, which is a strategic plan to manage all the vegetation in a city and develop it to meet certain sustainable development goals. Mm-hmm. So my job at the moment isn't really landscape architecture. I'm not really doing sketches. concept designs mm-hmm. as such and sketches. I'm doing much more strategy and reporting and stuff like that so yeah i'm not really a landscape architect anymore which mm-hmm. is good because that was my end goal <laughs> but you can still be in a landscape architect. yes you can still draw some public spaces definitely with trees and stuff. i'm actually i'm a registered landscape architect oh, in south cool. africa cool. so i can take on projects <clears throat> and and do them. Just a little bit step back. Your specialization in HS was in climate change, climate sustainability. Change. But um, I think you already mentioned a couple of times a word strategic. Mm-hmm. So, because I was on a track of strategic urban planning. Mm-hmm. Don't you think uh, it would even suit you better? <laughs> yeah. I think that all these things overlap, really. You can't do climate change and sustainability in the urban environment without a strategy. <laughs> and you can't do strategic urban planning without understanding climate change and sustainability. And the same for all the other tracks. They're all very, very overlapping, which is maybe a critique of IHS. <laughs> But also, no, I think it's just the field that we're in, which is what I really like. What I like about cities is that they are like a complete mishmash of like overlapping systems mm-hmm. and overlapping concepts and people and spaces and ideas and stuff. So it is messy. Yes. I have a random question, mm. but um, you knew where you're coming, so we have random questions. <laughs> um, what do you think about gentrification? <laughs> you know, it's something that I think about a lot and I struggle with because the first, maybe I'll answer it with a case study. Mm-hmm. In Cape Town, there are areas which, because of how apartheid worked with segregation, but along with segregation, different levels of investment. You have neighborhoods which are right next to each other, which received, like previously white neighborhoods, received lots of investment, lots of infrastructure. And right next to that, you have previously colored or black areas, which literally received no infrastructure, no planning, because they were planned completely differently. So one neighborhood, which is very famous in South Africa or Cape Town, is called the Burkhap. It's like a colored community in the center of the city, which has a very strong cultural identity, but received minimal investment and everybody who lived there had a lower income so it's like a pocket of lower income families who have been systematically excluded from the economy in Cape Town mm-hmm. now what's happening is you have big ass developers and the city is growing and they're wanting to move 
into that area and develop it and it's push and it's gentrification. People can't afford the rates and taxes anymore. So my first instinct is to be like, wow, this is just colonialism again. It's like you're pushing out families who can't. But at the same time, the city of Cape Town has so many genuine problems and they need to be developing. It's like a, it's a small little ball where you have like two square kilometers of city. And if they don't start pushing the city limits out, it's going to stagnate. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm not sure. I think that it's a very complicated topic. I think that gentrification, when it's just done for greed and for wealth, like obviously that's a problem, but capitalism does stimulate cities. So maybe it's about how it's done. I mean, that could lead to a whole conversation about what the economy should look like and, and all of that. But I think gentrification is it's complicated. Yeah, absolutely. It's just uh, yesterday, me and Dmitri had this conversation and you agreed that it's yeah, complicated. Yeah, that's what we okay. <laughs> agreed on. So it depends on the specific example or case. So. What stimulated your conversation? What uh, talking about? Because before that, I was also talking with another... Uh, person about gentrification and first of all <laughs> I think we were a little bit disagreeing on the understanding what it means the case was the case is actually going on right now in Rotterdam and this famously known Biergarten mm-hmm. where we hang out and nearby places are going to be demolished pretty soon because Rotterdam municipality is planning on building either new apartments or new office buildings most likely apartments but still, uh, based all, on all the buildings around, it would be not a double-story apartment. It will be pretty high buildings. And for me, it's just a case of, I don't know to what extent it is a gentrification. Maybe it is, because most of the places are their office office places. Mm. But also, this, is, was, this was kind of such a well-known place. And for people to come, not only from Rotterdam, but for those who travel to the central station from other cities and just walk in five minutes there, and uh, yeah, I think it's in, in a way a party center of Rotterdam uh, and uh, just a social gatherings uh, point. And I don't really understand why. I, th- I think it is mainly done for the profits to build an apartment on the one hand. But on the other hand, there is a severe housing mm-hmm. crisis. And it's just, of course, it's like a very complicated problem. But in the end, I think I'm against this particular policy of mm-hmm. Rotterdam municipality. Mm, I don't know. I feel like opening the beer. <laughs> I feel like I understand what you're saying, but I also feel like we don't like things to change in general. Like beer garden is not going to last forever anyway. So we have to take as planners, strategic urban. I mean, planners. it's not only about beer garden as per se. I'm just saying that this was a place which was. Yeah, uh, a little bit hidden, and it is maybe even ideal place to do some kind of an open yeah. air uh, bar or just a. I hear you, but what I mean is, we don't like things to change, but it doesn't necessarily mean that new development excludes having cool places to meet up. It depends how it's done. It's not necessary that change is bad or that a new big development is bad, but I really think it depends how the city envisions and implements its vision with policy about what do they value in the city. Like, if Rotterdam and the Rotterdam citizens want to have cool, nice, open-air places to hang out, then... Yeah, I'm pretty sure they will relocate the spirit garden somewhere else. Will yeah, be like just as nice. or a new one will come up. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. We do need housing. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is no question to this problem, and housing is important, but I'm just saying that 
I'm not a big fan of the Rotterdam city center. It's a little bit like soulless, heartless. American. Yeah, it is. And like all the skyscrapers. And this was like, you know, on the backyard of the city center. Just felt more cozy, mm. more gezellig. Anyway, that's just... Um, Picture is some leading. <laughs> uh, yeah, just, just, an, just a small example. But on the other hand, there was an example in Rotterdam where a municipality wanted to build houses on the place of a current park. And the local people just said, no, we don't want it. We prefer to green space we needed and so yeah they stand their ground and it worked and it's a really cool example how it can work yeah. but i guess in the city center office workers don't really care and they can stand anything there is no point of it so yeah i mean also i go back to the example of cape town maybe because it's a small city and it has so many segregation issues at linger but like it's a small there's not so much space and it needs to expand and so you have like the book up gentrification issue but you also have the what we call NIMBY, not in my backyard. Yeah. And so you have areas in the city center which are just like suburbs, but it literally doesn't make sense to have suburbs in the city center. Mm-hmm. So land is being bought and maybe it's like three or four story high apartment complexes being put up and people are freaking out. And it's unreasonable. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of got to hope that whoever's managing the spatial planning, like development stuff, has a broader picture because we are yeah. sentimental to our spaces. Yeah, absolutely. So. In these cases, you need to think outside of the box as you always need to. And you need to consider so many aspects. Holistic approach. Mm. Coming back to our guests' experiences, <laughs> I just uh, want to ask about um, the Netherlands uh, itself in general. Mm. How is it like? How has it been like for you? Do you like it here? Do you want to try to stay here for uh, a bit longer or you are mm. uh, done with this country? <laughs> yeah, I'm done with this bit. No, I really, really like the Netherlands a lot. I came here because I wanted to experience what it's like to live in a city that's well planned. And maybe because I came looking with that lens, I've just found it so impressive. Mm-hmm. Like no matter where I've lived in the city and I've lived in maybe one, two, three, four, four, five different places. There's always been a grocery store 10 minutes away. There's always been a tram stop or a train station 10 minutes away. And it's just, it's so convenient. It's so great. And like, I've never even wished I had a car because anywhere I want to go, I can get on public transport. Like, I think that that is a blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, coming from South Africa, it's not what I'm used to at all. And also there was just things about living in a urban setting which I'm not used to from South Africa as well. It's very suburban mm. or like very city, but not residential mm. city. Right? So there is no like middle sort of ground. Yeah. So there's suburban or like central business district. Exactly. Mm. Like now the first place that I lived in, my window opened up onto the street where there were lots of people walking by and there was always like pedestrian activity. And I really, really like that. Like it sounds like such a small thing, but it made me feel like I was always a part of the city and like walking through, always, I, I always felt like, there wasn't like a separation it was just mm. living there and i really like that feeling so i do want to stay but unfortunately because of the decision i made about working for the german company i have to leave i have a i'm actually getting my german work visa in two weeks mm-hmm. and luckily i'm getting a blue card visa uh-huh. so my plan is to weasel my way back into the netherlands in about four years mm-hmm. somehow maybe do a phd or something like become a permanent resident again why even why exactly four years so after five years with the blue card visa you can apply for permanent residence in your european country of residence 
but the I negotiated for the blue card visa because you accumulate your years in any European country. So yeah. I can work for Bodeca for four and a half years and then move to the Netherlands and then apply for permanent residency here and they don't require me to have been a permanent resident for five mm-hmm. years. Yeah. And um, my end goal is to get permanent residency. But so you are living in the Netherlands for now, but you're planning to come back. Yes. And I don't know if I should say this online, but <laughs> my plan is because I like the Netherlands and no offense, Germany, I just don't like Germany that much. I don't find the people. I also really like the people in the Netherlands. People are friendly. People are generally quite warm. People don't speak English. So my plan is to fly into Germany and then just take a train to the Netherlands and try sublet or rent something without registering mm-hmm. so I can be around my friends, you guys. Mm-hmm. Also just be in a place that I like and I'm familiar with. Yeah, uh, that's totally understandable. <laughs> the, there is no judgment from our side and I hope the Dutch government is not listening to us. But who knows? I'm just on holiday for two months, every yeah, two months. Yeah, I mean, everyone, everyone, everyone is doing it. Uh, let's hope that by the time we still, because I might be on the other half of the Netherlands, closer to the German mm. border. So you uh, can stop by yeah, exactly. there. And you can stop by at my place. And then have a we meeting go, point. And then we go together to Rotterdam and Very meet everyone. I'm probably going to be mainly registered near Berlin also. Mm. Cool. So we can um, like travel along the north. <laughs> I'm going to travel both sides. To yeah. Yeah, maybe you want to just highlight, mention some something about the Netherlands or Rotterdam or just your unique experience in the last two years in this country as kind of a summarizing part of our discussion. Maybe like when I first came to the Netherlands, I was very conscious that it was South Africa's colonizing country mm-hmm. and I was maybe quite frustrated at the level of wealth and the You know, the fact that everybody aspires to come here and it's built off of the back of home, etc. Mm-hmm. But over the past two years of being in Rotterdam, maybe in particular, I appreciate now how culturally diverse it actually is. Like the mayor of Rotterdam is from Morocco. They had some labor policy back in the day, which allowed Turkish people and Moroccan people to come here. But they've been integrated for the most part. Okay, maybe there's some segregation between the South and the North and labor complicated but for the most part they live mm-hmm. they live here and have access to all these amazing amenities and yeah all these things I traveled here to experience so in a way I have more respect for the Netherlands <laughs> after being here and I think that why I want to stay is I think it's just going to become a more interesting place in the future like I think all these multicultural people as well you have all these international companies with people coming from all over Europe and us and everyone I think it's a really, really interesting place because it's a very easy place to live. Social dynamics are very easy. That's a very nice summarizing comment. And let's just hope that the situation in a few years won't be worsening in a way that it will be much harder to get into and to stay here for the internationals. Because on the other hand, there are really a lot of people who come here and this is a small country and also with the people from, for example, Morocco and Turkey. At some point there were coming so many of them that the Dutch government was maybe a little bit regretful of their policies. Mm. And yeah, my main point is that let's hope that all this unique diversity will only have a positive impact and it will remain to be as open as it is now or even become more open. Mm. I agree. And hopefully won't get flooded. 
three years. Yeah, oh. we didn't even touch that kettle of fish. I mean, they have uh, <laughs> they have enough money to just build one meter wall. But uh, no. there are so many people coming here and becomes like heavier, so it goes down. You know? Yeah, it's called subsidence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, literally when that word says. Wait, it's not a joke? No, it's serious. Okay, well, I don't know if it's about the amount of people, but it's like, it's a spump. So the more development and the more like... Yeah, yeah guys. You push yeah. it down a little bit. Like, I'm serious, that's a thing. Yeah. It's called subsidence. Okay, guys, that's why I'm moving closer to the Germany, because Netherlands will be flooded. Uh, it will be flooded only partially, so... Around... But you know the Netherlands has a plan of like areas that they're willing to flood. No, I never heard of it. It's a serious thing. There's areas which are zoned, like if there's a catastrophe, because it's a delta, mm -hmm. uh -huh. you have sea rise and sea yeah. storms, and then you also have flooding. If they have to, there's a plan of which areas will be flooded. South Rotterdam, one <laughs> No, I think it's more like rural areas. So they mm. have an evacuation plan, and it's like okay. the population. It's, it's basically next to the river, right? I'm not sure. I didn't study it, but I know that it exists. Mm -hmm. so. But I mean, like... It should be near the water, <laughs> so... Yeah, it's actually very interesting. We will uh, look into it. We will yeah. definitely look into that. Uh, our guests are invited to look into that. And our guests are invited to also... Do their own research. Do their own research <laughs> and disagree on the things that we mentioned in our, pod in our podcast. Maybe some of them were a little bit sensitive. But let's remember it's all just opinions of our guests and our hosts. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Jess, uh, so much for coming on our podcast. I think it was great conversation. I learned uh, some new things about you that I didn't know. And I'm glad that you are making these interesting moves in your life, like moving to Saudi Arabia, which I think quite courageous, brave of you. And I wish you all the best in your coming adventures, whether it's in the Netherlands or in Germany or somewhere else. You're set for a good life ahead of you. Thank you. <laughs> Those are very sweet words. I appreciate them. Yeah, appreciate actually, Dimitri made it uh, sound so nice that uh, I will just agree with <laughs> what the previous said. Yeah, since maybe I've known just a little bit more, I was asking some questions more about the concepts in urbanists, some theory, something just for the debate. But of course, our podcast is mainly about life stories of the people. I hope you all enjoyed uh, Just Story and we wish you all the best. And let's hope that you be able to end up in the Netherlands if you would still want it in the future. Thanks. Or always have a part of the Netherlands with Aww. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, she's showing the heart. And, and, uh, yeah, it was a pleasure of having you here and we wish you all the best. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.